Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. My name is Noah. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Grace Harvest Church, and I get the honor and the privilege to be able to preach today. Uh, so it is always, um, it always does make me feel really honored, and just thank you, just even team, for letting me preach. Um, I, I really hope to correctly communicate kind of what the Lord put on my heart for today. Uh, everyone get an extra hour of sleep and feel good? I, my second question is... Um, does anyone have young kids and they woke up at the exact same time? <laughs> Mine is, he wakes up at 6.30 on the dot. He just yells, Daddy! Like every morning. I don't use alarm clocks because it's 6.30 on the dot. And at 5.30 on the dot, Daddy! <laughs> I'm awake! <laughs> My son, he's, uh, he's super fun. He's three years old. And um, for Halloween this year... He wanted to dress up as Spider-Man. Um, I don't let him watch Spider-Man because Spider-Man's kind of a little old for him, in my opinion. Um, and he's only literally watched like a preview for like a cartoon Spider-Man. But he loves Spider-Man, super into him. Um, and so we got him a Spider-Man costume for uh, Halloween. So super excited. He came home and he was telling me, hey, I have the Spider-Man costume. Really, really excited. Almost oddly excited. And so he, we put it on, you know, it has like the fake muscles and everything, and uh, he puts it on, and he pulls on the mask, and then instantly his first move is like, and then he looks at me like disappointed, and I was like, you all right, bud? And he's like, I can't fly. Why can't I fly? And he's like, a Spider-Man costume, fly, disconnect, you know? (laughs) He genuinely believed once he had the suit on, he was about to fly. <laughs> Belief is this really powerful thing, and, and really trusting certain perspectives can be, bring a ton of hope, or in his case, done a, a ton of disappointment. Um, for today's key verse, uh, we're going to be, it's out of Proverbs. I try to make things pretty simple and pretty clear. Um, so it's out of Proverbs 5, I, 3, I believe. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Today we're going to be talking about, in kind of tandem with that verse, is obedience. I'm a very, very practical person, and it's probably the most powerful thing that I've seen in Christianity in my own life is having a supernatural encounter with God in worship, maybe in the woods, or having these really powerful moments with God, but then how they transformed me in the natural, how I had this incredible moment with God, but it didn't stay there, but how it began to change my mind, how it began to change my thoughts and my actions in my heart. That's what's always the most beautiful thing about Christianity and Jesus is how it is so completely transformative in the lives of people. That it does change everything. It oftentimes reminds me of this verse in Ezekiel about a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. 
Something beautiful begins to outwork in your life and change you. When I, uh, before I came back from Moses Lake, I grew up in Moses Lake and then went to Bible college for a few years. And while I was at Bible college in Portland, um, spent four years there. During the four years, I was really, really busy with just classes and working. And then me and my wife were just newly married. And during that time, I had in my heart, like, I was like, I want to know these people, but I don't want to know them too well. (laughs) Because I'm just going to leave. That's just kind of how I think sometimes. And I, I made some good, really good friendships, but like with the actual church there, I didn't grow really, really deep roots. And I knew that. Like I knew, I was like, I, I probably should have grown a little bit deeper roots. And so four years go by, and the dean of the college asked me to come to his office. And that's always like a, uh, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> and then I was like, well, what is he going to do? He can't, he can't kick me out. I'm done, you know. <laughs> so I go, and I sit, and we have a really nice talk, and he, he said, he goes, you know what I'm disappointed in? And I'm like, oh, you know, that's a terrible start of the combo, right? He said, I'm not disappointed that you didn't grow deeper roots here, Noah. That you've been here for four years, like four years of your life. You've, you've been here, but you didn't grow that deep of roots. He goes, I know you've made friends and stuff, but you didn't grow deep roots. He goes, so do this for me. Wherever you go, grow deep roots. Grow deep relational roots with people. Whatever church you end up in, grow deep there. It was kind of one of those moments where I think all of us can remember a moment that's like a crossroads moment. Will you remember to be like, I need to heed this advice <laughs> because it's very, very important with my life direction. So I came back. Oh, and he said, grow deep roots. doesn't matter how long you're there. If you're there for a month or six months or a year. So me and my wife moved back from Portland, moved here, and, uh, and this is church I kind of grew up in and around, and me and my wife came here, came for, for a service, and then the first thing we did was I met with Pastor Raul, and I said, hey, bro, I want to grow deep roots here. I don't think I'll be here for long, but I want to grow deep roots here. <laughs> I'm still here. They, they can't get rid of me. <laughs> I feel like a con man sometimes. Ha! Gotcha! <laughs> But I grew deep roots here, and I really just told Raul, we went and got tacos somewhere, you know, to shake the dice. <laughs> we went, and I said, you know, Raul, I will, I will stack chairs, I'll preach, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I just want to grow deep roots here. Because that word stuck in my head to grow deep roots. I think about obedience a lot as a Christian And it's something that I kind of pride myself in because I'm pretty decent at, like, marching orders. A lot of times when we're just around with staff, um, I'm just like, you know, Doug, tell me what to do. (laughs) Drew, just tell me what to do. And I think about that in terms of obedience. But when we translate obedience sometimes to the spiritual, I think that sometimes it doesn't play out into the natural. We want to be obedient, but sometimes I feel like in our prayer time, we say, Lord, I want to be obedient, and we just kind of throw it into the universe. We throw this thing into this universe, this word, this appeal into just the air, and we go, Lord, I want to be obedient. But then what happens always, if you ask that, is an opportunity to be obedient arises. So you ask to be obedient, and then push comes to shove. Lord, I want to be obedient. Okay. You see that person behind you in Starbucks? Buy their drink. <laughs> and you're like, ugh. But, 
okay, five bucks. What if they order a frap? Like if they order a frap, we're at like eight bucks and you begin to do this thing where you're like, I don't know if I have enough. It's the end of the pay period. And you begin to lose that sense of obedience all of a sudden. Or you say, Lord, make me obedient. And the Lord goes, okay, how about do that thing I keep asking you to do? That broken relationship, you need to repair that. Can we be obedient about something else? Or maybe the Lord's, you're saying, Lord, make me obedient. And he's like, okay, go pray for that person. <laughs> you ought to be obedient, go do it. The spiritual encounter, the Holy Spirit supernatural encounter that you have has to become to be translated into the natural. It just can't stay there in the supernatural. It has to be translated into the, into the natural. Obedience or a spiritual calling direction in your life has to manifest in the natural. If you don't do that, it's actually disobedience in that thing. Obedience to Father God is uniting, uniting of his spiritual understanding and action in the natural world. Lord, use me. I feel even people being like, okay, like, that's where I'm at. But I'm trying to figure out when I know it's actually the voice of God, right? Really simple, just, but really, really tough to even discern. This is something that I myself have struggled with for a long time is trying to figure out what's the voice of God and what is what I ate last night or what is, you know, be like, do I want to go talk to that guy because he's wearing a bright orange shirt <laughs> and I'm just noticing it? Or is it, is it God leading me to do that thing? A lot of Christianity painfully always goes back to the basics, painfully, frustratingly. If you want to learn God's voice better, you have to spend time with him. The voice is only familiar because you spend time with him. My voice is only familiar to, to Israel is because I talk with him and I spend time with him. You want to learn the voice of God more? You need to spend time with the shepherd. You need to spend time with the father. And it really just even just boils down to you unplugging and sitting in his presence, reading scripture, and learning his voice. Learn his voice in the quiet place. You'll hear his voice in the loud place. The other thing, even how to discern the voice of God in the midst of everything is scripture. Obviously, you need to always have it lined up with scripture. And if you're trying to grow in obedience to God, and you're like, Lord, I, I want to do this, and maybe this is... It says it in scripture, but I'm still unsure. You need to ask people older and wiser than you. It has been my saving grace to be part of a church body that before I do anything major, I am asking Doug, do you think I should do this? I'm asking Pastor Keith while he was here, Keith, am I, should I do this? I'm asking many of you guys, like, hey, what do you think of this and bouncing things off of you? Discernment is huge, and the final one is, you want to learn the voice of God more and be obedient? There's nothing but like a trial by fire. <laughs> kind of, there comes this moment of, I just got to do it. I just got to do it. Now, the question that I kind of want to seed into your heart is, what do you feel like the Lord is calling you to be obedient to? Here now. Not like out in the ethos, like what is the Lord calling you to do? Is there something that he's called you to do and you ignored, or you have put off? Is there something that you're calling to do, and you're just kind of dragging your feet? 
And a lot of times we think it's like this big, magnificent, like huge thing. But a lot of times it breaks down to the simplest things. Maybe you need to send that text. Maybe you need to make that phone call to that person. Maybe that relationship needs to be, to be you know, restored. Maybe you need to take that person out to lunch or to coffee. It's really, really simple obedience. Being obedient isn't blind, though. We got this word tied to us at some point. I don't know where it is, but it's a nasty combo. We call it blind faith. Blind faith. I hate that term. Don't like that term. Because faith isn't blind. It's just trusting the right perspective. Blind faith is this thing that you're going like this and jumping off a cliff. No, you're saying, Lord, your ways above my ways. Your will before my will. I trust your perspective, not my own perspective. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The passage that I kind of want to preach out of today is, comes out of Judges. Judges 6 and 7. The story we're going to focus on is Gideon. Gideon. So Judges is this book in the Bible that comes right after Israel has left captivity, captivity from Egypt, spent time in the wilderness, and now are in the pro- promised land, and they're occupying the land. Meaning, they are pushing out the Canaanites, the, the um, Midianites, the Am- Amorites, and they're pushing out all these people to occupy the promised land. So Judges is this book about occupying the land. And we see the judges as being leaders of Israel at the time. When we think of judges, we think of like white powdered wigs, right? Like that's what we think of. That's our first thing. But judges, biblically speaking, are people that extracted judgment, actually did something for the sake of injustice. So a lot of the judges that you see in the book of Judges are people like Joshua, Deborah, Gideon and all these other guys, and they weren't into the powder wigs, they were more into swords. So you see these people, judges were people that extracted justice, okay? So let's just jump right into it. Judges 6, or Judges 7, 6, sorry. Judges 6. Midian oppresses Israel. Midian, the people of Midian were were people that were occupying the promised land, and they were oppressing Israel at the time. And so Israel had to retreat up into the caves to stop the Midianites from coming in and taking their grain, taking their livestock, killing, destroying, kind of doing that type of thing. So I'm just going to read the opener in in chapter 6. It says this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them over to the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and became, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, in the caves, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israel, Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour their produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they did lay waste on the land as they came in. So this is the kind of situation that Israel is in at this certain point. They've occupied the promised land. 
But this, the people of Midian are continually oppressing them, and Israel is hiding up in caves. And so the next kind of section or the next paragraph is called the call of Gideon. We see Gideon, an Israelite, this man, and it says he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Meaning this, he would take a stalk of wheat and they would hit it to actually release the kernel of wheat and then throw away the fibrous part. Why he was doing it in a wine press, why he was doing it, he was hidden because he was afraid of the people of Midian. He was afraid simply because they were going to steal his food. So you have Gideon in this place, Gideon trying to get some food for him and his family, threshing wheat in a wine press. Then all of a sudden it says this in verse 12 of chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If you've been to any men's Bible camp, this is a popular verse. <laughs> o mighty man of valor. O mighty man threshing wheat in a wine press because you're scared of the people of Midian. O mighty man of valor. The Lord sees you exactly where you're at, but he's always trying to call you to a new place. Gideon and this angel have this back and forth, and the angel confirms or maybe puts a calling on Gideon, saying this, you will deliver my people, the people of Israel, out of the hands of Midian. That's what you are supposed to do. That him and the angel have a back and forth. He makes him prove that he's an angel of God by doing a sacrifice the angel touches the sacrifice and it comes up in a ball of flame and he is confirmed and believes that this calling is accurate and true. Now, this is what's really interesting. After that amazing supernatural encounter that, Midian, or that Gideon has in the wine press, the first thing he is called to do happens in the next paragraph. It says this, Gideon destroys the altars of Baal. Baal was basically the god of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And the first thing that Gideon was called to do was to remove the idols from the land. A powerful thing. I believe that all scripture can be applied to our life here and now. So, if the Lord is calling you to do something, what idols stand in the way? Just real simple. Maybe that could be the first step of your obedience. It was the first step of Gideon's obedience. After he had this supernatural encounter, something natural had to come out of him, and he had to purge idols out of the land. So what happened in the next paragraph is he gathered about 30 men, servants, people he knew, and he was a little afraid to go down in the daytime because of Midian. So he went at night, got some big oxen, and he pulled down these statues pulled down these altars and cut off the head of the statue and then vanished into the night. The people wake up, very, very ticked off, understandably, and they say, oh, what the heck, who did this? And someone says, it was Gideon, you know, <laughs> ratted him out pretty quick. They go to Gideon's house and there's this, this crazy exchange. And Gideon's dad, man, dads are always bailing you out, Right? Gideon's dad has like the right word at the right time. He says this. I love it. He goes, if he is a God, talking about Baal, the idol that they destroyed, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Verse 31. 
Let him contend for himself. And the people are like, that's a good one. (laughs) Gideon moves on with his life. And it feels like he gets a little bit of momentum. Gideon then goes on to come to his next phase. And he's still a very fearful person. And this calling that he feels like the Lord has put on his life to deliver Israel out of the hand of Midian seems very, very large to him. And so before moving forward, he begins to test the Lord. He puts out this like fleece. And he says, hey, hey Lord, if this is true, what I feel and what you've told me to do, have the fleece be wet and everything be dry around it. Leaves it for the night. The fleece is like that. Then the, and then Gideon, still being afraid and still being worried, says, okay, reverse it. <laughs> dry fleece, wet ground. Lord does that. And it says this at the end of that. It says, it says, and God did that also that night, and it was dry, and the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. And Gideon was encouraged in that moment. Gideon got incredibly kind of like, okay, I can do this. So we begin to send out messengers, writers, letters, all this stuff saying, hey, we're going to get out of the oppression of Midian. We're going to free ourselves from it, and we need military power. And so they gather, he gathers 32,000 people to fight against Midian. He's a busy little boy, right? (laughs) He was a busy guy. So he gets 32,000 people, and that lands us right in chapter 7. Gideon's got the call. He understands the voice of God. He's trying to be obedient, and he goes, okay, Lord, for your call, I have a good plan. I got 32,000 people, we got swords, we got bows, and we're ready to rock. Chapter 7 is kind of the destroying of Gideon's plans. It says this, Then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, but the hill of Morath in the valley. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim to the ears of of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. God just took out 22,000 of this 32,000 army. Saying, no, we're not going to make this about you. We're going to make it about me. And now I can even begin to picture myself in the the head of Gideon. You have this army. You feel pretty good. And then 22,000 just dip. Now you only have 10,000. And the plan that you have is now being drastically altered. God wasn't even through with it yet, though. 10,000, I imagine Gideon was still feeling pretty good. He goes, let's do this phase two. Have all the men go down for a drink of water. That's when, if you heard the voice of God say that to you after getting rid of 22,000, you'd get nervous, right? <laughs> you'd be like, no, nobody get a drink. <laughs> Everyone goes down to get a drink of water. And the men kind of are in two different groups, drink two different ways. It says some scooped and some lapped like a dog. So the two actually, how it, positionally, how they would be, the scoopers knelt down and drank, and the lappers laid on their belly and drank. 
Those are the two groups of people. 9,700 people knelt down to get a drink of water, and only 300 laid on their belly. Who in the heck drinks water laying on their belly? <laughs> like, really, that's kind of what it was. This, it was a bizarre way to drink water. And I can't even imagine Gideon just looking out and just being like, man, there's some weird guys just drinking water flat on their belly. And the Lord goes, those 300 guys, those are your new army. So Gideon now has 300 men. The call of God is still on him to free Israel from the land of Midian, or from, yeah, from the people of Midian. The call of God is still there, and he's supposed to do this plan with 300 people. So he gathers the men, and they begin to travel, and they find themselves at a large encampment of Midianites and Amalekites. And he knows this is the time. And so Gideon has this revelation that I believe from God of how to fight them. For their numbers weren't there, but he had a plan. So he went through the camp and said, hey, give me your bow. Give me your sword. I'm going to give you three things in exchange for that. Here, here's a trumpet. Here's a jar. Here's a torch. And the plan was... They were going to surround this whole encampment with a torch that was lit and a jar over the top of it to hide it. They were going to break it and scream like a bunch of crazy people and blow the trumpets. I don't have a trumpet. I wish I did. So the plan moves forward. Gideon gets people. Gathers the 300, they sneak up in the middle of the night, and they surround the camp. They yell, break the jars, and they say, for God and for Gideon. A sword for God and a sword for Gideon. <laughs> I find it funny that he inserted his name in there, right? Lest you boast. Remember that little line? They blew the trumpets. In that time, it says the Lord confused the camp. Of this thousands and thousands of people, many knights, Amalekites, and they turned on one another, killed each other, and then the rest fleed. Gideon goes on to capture many of them and kill the rest of the commanders and drive the people of Midian out of the promised land, thus fulfilling what the Lord did or what the Lord called him to do. Now I kind of want to go through and look at. What principles can we extract from this story? What principles? When you read scripture, the first step that you should approach it as is, this isn't written to me. We sometimes get in this head where this, the Bible is written to us. It's not written to you. This is written for Israelites. But the Bible is for your life here and now. That this book, even though it was a, a thing for Israelites to read, for people to read, man, there is principles in here that will change your life. Scripture is powerful. What principles can we extract from the story? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I think this is right at the forefront, the trust of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your, or he will make straight your paths. Each one of us, me included, 
are called to fulfill a particular task. Unique, specific. That you are the right person at the right time in the right position to do the thing the Lord is calling you to do. And what's so disturbing about it, it should disturb you, is no one else can do that for you. That the Lord is calling you to a place. And maybe you feel like Gideon, afraid in a wine press. Or maybe you feel this so unequipped, man, the Lord loves unequipped people. He does. That's what he works with best is unequipped people. Maybe the calling that you feel like so deep in your soul that the Lord is calling you to do is too big. Where you're like, man, I can't do that. I had this dream. I had this vision. I had this supernatural encounter, Lord. I can't do that. It's too big. It's too past me. It's, that's the point of it. The calling isn't speaking to where you're at, but it's, it's speaking to where you're supposed to be. Calling you from one place to another. Maybe you don't feel worthy. Man, what is the Lord calling you to do? Just real simple. Just right now. Like, is there something that's been pressing on your mind and your heart that the Lord is calling you to do? Maybe you're a lot like Gideon, and the first thing that you need to do is remove idols from the land. Maybe you need to do the simple thing and just repair some relationships. What I find really interesting about this story is I feel like it's how we operate as people. Where a lot of us are pretty quick on hearing the call of God and beginning to fulfill it. But what we do is we hear his call and then we apply our plans. You see the disconnect? We hear his call and then we apply our plans. Gideon heard God's call and then he applied his 32,000 men plan. He sent a lot of people home. Don't you think if God called you and is calling you, don't you think he'll provide the means to fulfill it? If he called you, if he's purposed and destined you to do the thing, don't you think that he's going to provide the plan, the means to do it? Why are you stressing? <laughs> it's his calling. It's his plan. You're just a part of it. I believe that there are people in this room where the Lord has called you to do something specific. And there may be even just one step that you've been stuck on. One step that has blocked you from moving to the next chapter, to the next section. If it's unforgiveness, if it's sin, if it's idols, I don't know what it is. That's between you and the Lord. But I believe that the Lord is calling you to a place that is unique and that is specific. That you are, without a shadow of doubt, the right person at the right time. That even though you feel so unequipped, oh man, I feel so unequipped. Oh man, the Lord is bringing people your way. Bringing, he will equip you. He will fulfill the plans. Uh, you want somebody to hop up on keys for me, Drew? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will straighten your paths. You want to stand with me?